Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Grace Lynn Kung, an actor, director, and producer whose credits include Slings and Arrows, Being Erica, The Strain, Twelve Monkeys, and most recently, Miss Sloan. And you can see her Wednesdays at 9pm in Mary Kills People on the Global Television Network. Grace picked Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the third chapter in the swashbuckling, globetrotting action franchise George Lucas and Steven Spielberg launched with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Set in 1938, this adventure finds Harrison Ford's cliffhanging archaeologist out to find his father, who's vanished while searching for the Holy Grail. In short order, both Joneses are on the same quest, and Sean Connery has joined the fold as the intemperate Henry Jones. One of the biggest hits of 1989, it's also a story that finds drama and emotion in a handful of simple truths. Fathers and sons will always have issues evildoers won't hesitate to wrap themselves in whatever flag is available, and there's never a bad time to punch a Nazi. Good job, Spielberg. This is someone else's movie. I didn't see it in the theater. I don't remember when I saw it. And my source for a while was like my uncle, who was, he worked for Universal Studios, um, but he just, he had like the special pay channels and he would sort of copy them illegally. And so we'd wait and we'd get like, like, like there'd be three stacked on one and then we'd watch those and yeah. so I don't remember the first time that I saw it but like you watch them and you're like oh I remember that like there's things that just get like stuck in your head expressions and right yeah well it's almost primal isn't it I mean especially this kind of storytelling the, yeah. the stuff that Spielberg does yeah um my first question is what you know why pick Last Crusade and not Raiders oh. is there a specific okay hope? see I have no attachment to Raiders whatsoever really I think the first Indiana Jones that I have in my recollection was actually Temple of Doom okay so that's that was like the first one to me and I didn't see Raiders until probably about 10 years ago or something wow yeah, and, and I was like, Karen Allen, like, like all of the, all of the yeah, and I just, I had no familiarity at all with anything in that storyline, and I'd heard some people be like, oh, that's the best, that's the best, but I just didn't have any attachment, and for me, it was like, Indiana Jones is so much about nostalgia, such a great character, but, um, yes, but Last Crusade, the dynamic between him and his dad, like, is probably one of the funniest the, the interactions and then going back and being like, oh, this is such a gem. All this stuff is still so good. It is the most emotional of the films, I think. It's certainly of the, yeah. the original trilogy, because I try not to acknowledge the other one. But, yeah, I was... Yeah, well, actually, like, Spielberg himself was like, it did this kind of as like a mea culpa for Temple I of know, Doom. which is so weird, because Temple of Doom, admittedly, yes, it's, it's problematic, it's racist, it's... Yeah regressive in a lot of ways but in terms of the hardest thing is that if you're making a movie about 1930s serial characters mm-hmm. that's where you'd go right like i understand how they got there it still yeah. doesn't make it right yeah but it's one of those things where once the machinery of well we have to make this movie takes over i get that you know well we're gonna set it in india and everybody's just gonna be uh, i don't know barbarians maybe <laughs> yeah. it's it's not yeah. great yeah 
but then to go back to Last Crusade and say, we're doing it again, but we're doing it like, to do it right, you need Nazis. <laughs> Always, as the baddies. Right? There's it's, like a quote about that, too, like the grossest filth of humanity yeah. or something yeah. in the film. You're like, okay, all right, super. Okay, so things are very, very polarized in this yeah. world. Back on solid ground. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I guess why the communists don't work in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, because they're just... Oh, I try to forget about that. Yeah, one. that's what I'm saying. I, I love Kate Blanchett, to... but I just... <laughs> she, I, she is the only one. I've said this before. She's the only one in that movie who knows what movie she's making, <laughs> and she's having the best time. Yeah, that that's very very important. I think some actors make the film whatever world they're living in, and other ones are like, I know what world I'm in. I'm going to play in that world right. and be entertained. Like, I want to see the movie that Emily Blunt thought she was making from The Girl on the Train, because oh. she's really good. Yeah. And the film is, I don't know if you've seen it, but <laughs> I haven't seen it, it is yet. not. Uh, it is not good. It's but, a shame when they ruin literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't even understand why they'd transpose it from England to New York in the first place, but yeah. And then still stack it full of English people pretending to be American, which is really weird. Well, still to this day, like I recently saw one the next born and mm. they're always like when they're in the States, obviously they like list the actual state, but whenever it's abroad, it's just like country. Right. Like we're in Turkey. <laughs> that's it. That's all the information you need. Yes. That's all you really care about, isn't it? I mean, yeah. not America. Yeah. Did you just say not America? Did <laughs> not America. America Un-America. Yeah. Well, with Indiana America. Jones, again, you, you have the maps. You have this style that tells you where you are and when you are. And, yeah. and this, this remarkable um, kind of throwback material that isn't... Like, it's, it's retro, but it's not completely beholden to the serials of the 30s and the mechanics of that. I mean, yeah. that's the thing I love the most about... Raiders and to uh, to an extent, Last Crusade is how simplistic they are, but they're not simple. No. They're just really beautiful, clean lines of storytelling, yeah. shadows, and and um, the music, the score God, kind of pulls you along. Yeah, well, but these are like great archetypes. Like Indiana Jones was voted like the they had this like Empire survey on the greatest character ever, and he was the top. He beat out James Bond. He beat out Batman. Um, <laughs> You know, like Sigourney Weaver from Alien. Like, he was the tops. And I, I, that's part of my draw. Like, I I studied archaeology, not as my major, but I studied it in in university. And I remember, actually, my dad had this archaeology book when I was growing up on the shelf. And it was the, on the cover, it was that picture of that temple that's in Petra at the end of the, at the end of the film. And, I mean, what, I love to travel. I, like, live to travel and what is a better dream and fantasy than traveling the world doing the things that you love and and he had such a anchor into doing doing good to what he felt was good and right yeah. you know like uh which is sometimes so futile and that's like part of what's great and those are the sort of the themes that i watch it and i'm like it's always kind of scary going back and watching a childhood classic mm. Because you're like, oh, man, is it going to be awful? Yeah. Generally, it's all, like you said, there's so much racism that you're like, ooh, rough. Yeah. But like how it is with women, like it's and this was actually the first um, Indiana Jones. It didn't there wasn't a, a woman in the second billing, which I think was pretty oh, that's fantastic right. for the time. And actually, she's third billing. So it's, um, you know, so in some ways, you know, like, yeah, we've got the, you know, when they actually when they when they're making out like he's the you know like but that that's a really great scene too because she comes back with the same thing you know like but it's always scary going back with the classic because you're like oh man are there going to be all these things i'm going to end up hating it 
Yeah. You know, like you're like, oh, there's a Welshman playing a Egyptian excavator. Okay, super. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, they'd established that in the first one. So, but... <laughs> um, so how long had it been since you'd seen it again? Oh, I don't know. I feel like with a lot of these films, I just I have pieces of them stuck in my memory, whether it's visually or just like certain lines like my brother and I would just like my brother was such a big film uh, he's such a big film fan too so we would enact like those moments where you know like it's such a great shot when the young you know Indiana Jones he's getting like the hat put on him and then we cut to you know it's like you know 20 years later (laughs) he's got this great grin and he gets punched like my brother and I would just sort of like reenact those and laugh it's like great great comic moments so those are those have always been in my head. So I actually don't know. I, mean, I feel like it's one of those things that I just like a few good men where I just like every so often I'm rewatching it and enjoying it. That like Batman, you know, and all of these great moments that I feel like now it's really tough to make. You know, well they tried to make, you know, another Indiana Jones. Yeah, so. and they're doing another another one. There yeah. supposedly there is a fifth one coming, which just makes me. I, know, I don't know. Frightened. You just have to apprehensive. Yeah. You know. Apprehensive. I want to believe that it's possible that some writer who loves it enough will find a way to do it. Yeah. And I just, I don't see that happening mm. uh, because the property is too important. You know, no one will take a, a really radical approach to it. No one will entertain the possibility because, well, we've done it this way for 30 odd years and why would we change? Yeah. That's why we change because of the last one. That's why yeah. we change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Last Crusade, I mean, it feels like the end. Of, of the of the cycle mm-hmm. uh, Indy is made whole through his relationship with his father which he yeah. hasn't been before then and yeah. it's the one where you do get this kind of marvelous seeping of character throughout the entire thing with these huge action beats but they're all rooted in the need to prove himself Yeah, even the first one even the flashback before we even know about the relationship with the dad it's mm-hmm. part of it yeah and um, yeah just going back over it again I had I had blacked out so much or blanked on so much of the the bad guy stuff because it just didn't matter. Yeah. Like I, yeah, Julian Glover, I remember him. Yeah. But oh, he has much more to do. You needed it to do. move the story, but it was really about the heart between like yeah, yeah. son and father, and and, and the weird uh, on-screen thing of a not quite old Sean Connery playing older. <laughs> this was right around yeah. that time where he turned on on the dime and became a character actor with the Untouchables and with this, just yeah. suddenly allowing himself to look a little older, taking away the hairpiece, being yeah. you know older Sean Connery, but still pretty dynamic and Harrison Ford who was creeping up to 50 at the time I guess still looking pretty good yeah that's interesting because I don't I I was like I was a kid when I saw it for the first time and I didn't see it when it actually came out so I Mm. I don't remember but so I didn't have a concept of because I got into Bond sort of around the same time or after that um so I didn't know previous Sean Connery other than you know so for me you know, and they've been doing this with women's ages for years, sure, yeah. being like, you know, the women are aged so differently, even though they're they're playing mothers, even though they're the exact same age. So for me, it wasn't like I, I didn't spend, I guess I was, you're in the wonder of the story. So I wasn't like, oh, I know that Sean Connery's only 12 years yeah. older. That's plausible. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I guess it is. <laughs> it's, but, it really is shocking to, to do the math and, and just yeah. realize just how close they are in age, because they yeah. do immediately fall into like instantly i believed that, oh, yeah that that's father and son the dynamic is so great in those uh, in those looks and yeah i but i didn't like 
I didn't know that Tom Stoppard did so much. Of yes. The, he essentially, and I found this great article, I think it was like Creative Screenwriting, or, um, where this guy basically dissected and compared the Boam, I think was the Jeffrey Boam, yeah. yeah. And, um, and Stoppard's, and it was really, really fascinating. Like, he made that film. Well, he was, it's my understanding that he was the one who completely overhauled their relationship, right? Like, he rewrote yeah. the script based on that angle yeah to to create a, yeah a dynamic to create mm-hmm. an aggression between the two well but even in the small even though the small details like little bits of humor ratcheting up the tension mm-hmm. um being able to do like in it seemed like in the previous edition um a lot of the things were just very very straightforward and he added all of these like twists and turns and i mean and in seeing what he did to rewrite it like this article is really really great like he made it I don't know what it was before. I don't know what it would have been, but it sounded like it just would have been kind of awful. There are a bunch of different drafts that have been discussed. Oh, yeah, Definitely. the Monkey yeah. King stuff. Yeah, and, like, completely different adventures, totally different yeah. prologues, no young indie, you know, no grail. Ghosts, Scottish ghosts, ghosts, Scottish ghosts. And, like, which, Chinese, you know, sort of mythology, in the which they kind of stuffed that into... Uh, Crystal Skull. Kind of, they yeah. Kind of just like, oh, we got this, is lying around. Yeah, I... The most, the single most awkward interview I've had, maybe not the most, but right up there, the most awkward interview I've ever had in my life was with Harrison Ford uh, in 94 really? when he was talking about, it was for Clear and Present Danger, which uh-huh. is how I got to be on the junket there. And he was talking about the fourth Indiana Jones film then. Yeah. And I made the mistake of saying, well, what's left? You know, like you've got Judaism in the first one, mm-hmm. you telescope a lot of the Indian religions however they're treated, mm. into Temple of Doom, and then Christianity is validated in the third one. What's left? And he just turned on me and was like, well, we didn't t- take offense to the idea that we telescoped the Indian religions. And I was just trying to say there's more than two yeah. in the, in the yeah. film, and they're not handled very well. Yeah. But yeah, he really believed there was more to do. And I guess if the Monkey King stuff had been part of it, then there's a whole other aspect of Chinese mythology and, yeah. and religion that could have gotten yeah, into I it. I knowing those stories. But how do you... I guess what it... The problem I have with it is that the Monkey King is a character, whereas all the other religions are absent deities. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have to have the Monkey King in the story. Which makes it a very different exactly. story. It kind totally. of pulls it out of the realm of like what we're what we've set up. Yeah. Like the whole structure, infrastructure of Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's more like yeah. a mummy movie. Yeah. Like a modern mummy movie where they're interacting with these creatures and, and activities yeah. constantly. Yeah, so suffice to say I feel like we all owe Tom Stoppard quite a lot of thanks. <laughs> Oh, and that's a great, <laughs> it's funny, I have this great story where it all kind of came together because we just, I, we just did Miss Sloan, right? Mm-hmm. And one of my castmates from Miss Sloan was doing a stoppered play in New York. And I was telling, I was telling my friend Noah, I was like, you know, every time John Madden was directing Miss Sloan mm-hmm. and like, I adore this man. He's so warm. And every day we would go and greet him. And we like the be variations of like hugs or kisses because we were stuck in between like the 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 British, the American, the Canadian. So there's just like <laughs> there's no one way. Like when you're in England, it's like you know this kiss, kiss, two right. sides. But then there was this mesh of options, and I every time I got close to John, I was like, it's coming, and we just could never. <laughs> I feel we were trying to help each other, and sometimes it'd be like a a hug, half kiss, and then he'd go for the other cheek, and it was like. I kept telling no. I was like, one of these days, by the end of the shoot, we have to like. I think I, we, we just like we gotta get it right. At some point, the statistics mean that we're gonna end up doing the same <laughs> thing. And he said, "Well, don't feel bad about it." 
because he said one time I was doing this Stoppard play and he was wonderful. He came into it and he was like, I just wanted to, you know, th- thank you for doing this. I think you're doing wonderful work. And, and Noel was so nervous that when he went in, they went in for like sort of like a handshake sort of hug, but Noah just kind of got paralyzed and then he held his hand and then he just sort of bowed his head and Tom Stoppard ended up kissing his forehead. <laughs> He's just so embarrassed. He was like, Your Majesty, please kiss yes, my forehead. <laughs> just this legend. But to be anointed by Tom Stoppard would there not be the go. worst There you go. What's in better theater, than right? that? Yeah. You know, and then Stoppard and John work together on Shakespeare in Love. It all comes <laughs> comes full circle now with Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I knew Stoppard mostly for Rosencrantz and Kildenstern at the yeah. time, which still, I mean, that thing's a jewel. It's mm. just a beautiful play. And the film that came out right around the same time as, or maybe a couple of years after. Last Crusade, it would have been. It was. It was at TIFF in yeah, nineteen ninety or ninety one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eighty nine. And he was having the best run. He just everything he was working on was great. And and to not be credited for most of the work, it took a long time, I think, for it to come out. Yeah. Didn't it? I mean, he's not. I wonder if you. I mean. I wonder if you. Unless I'm completely wrong, which I should check right now. No, he don't. I I don't think it's years and years, years later. No, no, no. He's he's not even officially credited on IMDb as a thanks or anything. Mm -hmm. Or he was called. It was called Barry Watson or something. They credited Barry Watson. Oh, a special thanks to that kind of. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it's if you think okay, well, I'd be happy about that as long as I got the credit, like got I knew that I did it and people that I knew. Yeah, you. I would just. It would just. A movie that big. Yeah. Would I? I. I can only speak for myself. It would eat me alive to just know that I had helped, and not been acknowledged, in I some get, way. Because yeah. you'd want to be at parties and say, "Oh yeah, well that that great thing you like, that thing you were just talking about." You know, yeah. I would want to know. But I wonder if it's I one of those things know. you know, like those iconic roles that. You know, like Alec Guinness after Star Wars, he was like, "I don't know. Let's let's not talk about it." And many, many of the people who sort of got that for, uh, made their break in Star Wars, just, they didn't want that role to define them. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I mean, Tom Stoppard is obviously a massive career all without that. And you wonder, well, actually, maybe if he had been recognized for that, would he be able to? Would we have accepted sort of the rest of the things uh, that yeah. he had done? I mean, it's a little bit different because he was for the most part writing in the UK mm-hmm. you know like and he was established on, as yeah. a stage as a playwright yeah. at that point yeah but yeah I wonder I mean the way I've been referring to the Harry Potter movies for years is that they're a gateway drug for British cinema you know <laughs> yes, you, you open are. up any film yeah. and it's just heaving with talent that people will then go on to discover yeah. and you know if Tom Stoppard's participation in, in Last Crusade gets a few more people to check out the real thing yeah. How is that a crime? Yeah, that's true. Because he really, it truly is the genius behind that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and, and those types of films, like you were saying, like Harry Potter and the, the that gateway drug to British, like that's why I ended up, I lived there for three years because I grew up on British comedy and I loved British film and I loved their cinema. Just, it, it symbolized a lot of things to me too. It was like one of the few areas that I saw growing up where I could see an interracial couple and it yeah. wasn't an after-school special about multiculturalism and, yeah, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> racist sure. in a harmony. And that really affected me so much so that as as a young adult going over there and, and living, you know, like, purely from your screen-based industries, purely from the world that I got to see through through film, 
Right. So it's the additional representation, but also the possibility of. Also, for me, it was aesthetics right? too. Like uh, you know, like you, <laughs> you look at like American soap operas. And, like, everybody's just like, who are these people? I never see people who look like this. And they're walking around in very attractive garb all day long. And you watch, like, Coronation Street and, like, some of them are rough. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> the like the settings can be rough. Like, the you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of British television and, like, Harry Potter is one of the, I feel like, the crossovers. So you're getting all of that polish from america sure but elaborate production design yeah, but, pretty everything yeah. yes but like a most british television did not look like that yeah you know and the casting was different and that really appealed to me because i really thought i i thought women were far more than just their looks and i in in on the british side of things i saw things that i identified with i was like oh there's a strength and also still now like women can be whatever and i can hear them talk about a police boss and all of a sudden she walks on and it's a woman and she doesn't have to be just strong or she doesn't have to be just this or that like it was it was always story first and I just thought it was intelligent and witty and I just nobody does wit like the Brits you know like nobody's quite quite nailed it for me that way except for you know like I love that sort of discourse thing and the fact that you have can have all these panel games on yeah. BBC Radio that that you know you can have a Friday night and you listen to the radio like yeah yeah I mean I married an English woman I'm still yeah I'm well, steeped then, in it yeah, yeah I still watch QI and everything else oh god yeah and QI just, the, just a minute like have I got news for you it's, yes I guess what it is is that intelligence is still appreciated there yes and not seen as I think it's demanded I would hope so <laughs> yeah I mean even in something like the Great British Bake Off there's sense of Kate was just telling me this the other maybe even last night yeah. uh, because I was briefly mocking the idea that you like made an entire one hour show about whether sponge will rise or not and she said <laughs> you let them do their work it's hard and then you're riveted but but you are actually yeah. watching people deal with heartbreak in a really bizarre way in a reality show setting where they're not and this is her point not mine she came to it first they're not mocked for failure they simply didn't succeed. Yeah. And it's a different perspective on that, too. It's yeah. the, well, we've learned what not to do. Let's let's hope we carry forward and, and can continue. Even if you're not still on the show, let's keep going. And mm-hmm. say, yeah, no, it's like, it, it comes back to the Indiana Jones films being ultimately puzzle movies. The thing that I noticed about Last Crusade this time is that yeah. this film and Raiders share that real joy of unlocking secrets and... Yeah answering questions and solving riddles yeah. in a way that Temple of Doom kind of forgot. Yeah. Because it's really about finding out what's going on, but they're, all the mysteries have been solved yeah. because this, this whole operation's already underway. It's like an adventure horror movie, that one. It really... It's its own, like, like Spielberg said, it's like Poltergeist. It's yeah. Like it's, Poltergeist in a different place. It's a much, much darker... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it kind of needs to... I, I, I'm, I'm a weird I defender can't... of Temple of Doom. I know that it's hugely flawed, but I think it does what it wants to do really well. I mean, yeah. it is... It's a it's the ride that they kept talking about. They wanted Raiders to be a ride, but Raiders is too serious in a way to, to have that much fun with it, except that mm. that makes no sense because it's the most fun movie in the world. But, <laughs> but with Temple of Doom, I think what they wanted were stakes. They wanted really personal stakes for Indy and, and yeah. short round and, and to make it yeah. immediate. And so they have to be put in real physical jeopardy and it has to be scary because there's a small child being menaced. Yeah. With Raiders and Last Crusade, the stakes are just as big, if not more so, because it's about stopping the Nazis from supernaturally taking over the world, yeah. which again, instantly pushes the movie into Cartoonville, but it somehow plays it as realistic. It, Eddie. You're so, you're so grounded in the, 
the reality between and and between these two men, these two family members. Yeah, it's so great. Did you know that Short Round was like based on a dog? Uh, Lucas's dog, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. And Chewbacca's look Chewy, was yeah. also based on a dog. And yeah. then they, you know, this one we unearthed that Indy's <laughs> it's Alaskan Malamute. Yes. It's that's just great. I love those little tidbits. And that's how, I mean, that's a sign of Spielberg kind of standing over Lucas and going, okay, George, your idea is kind of cute, but it's also dumb and I'm going to make it work. <laughs> I'm showing them the dog. And then they hold it until the end of the film that I named the dog Indiana. You know, like yeah. you, you leave it hanging, which is great. You, and then in your mind, you can just picture the dog again because that's smart. As opposed to Lucas just insisting on whatever, you know, knowledge was their treasure and all the aliens yeah. that aren't aliens in Crystal Skull. There, there's this, there was a point where I think Lucas was distracted by Howard the Duck or something. And, and during the, the development of Last Crusade and Spielberg got more hard into it with Stoppard mm. than I think. I might otherwise have been possible. Yeah. And, you know, in hindsight, you can you can tell which ideas are Lucas's and which ideas are anyone else's. I think, you know, we all, we, George should be able to do basically whatever he wants because he gave us the world of Star Wars. Like, he gave us these brilliant things. But I also feel like in seeing what he's continued to do after the fact, he could do with some corralling sure. <laughs> moments. Yeah. Well, and you know, so the, it's, yeah. The theory of, of Star Wars is that it's as good as it is because Gary Kurtz and Marsha Lucas were there to steer it. Yeah. And he was bursting with ideas, but they're yeah. like, okay, but what if you focus on this bit? And what if yeah. we handle this story? Yeah. And once those two people are out of his life, you can see what it does. And you can see with Jedi, it starts to turn into a toy store and, and repeating stuff instead of innovating. And then with the prequels, we don't, you know, there's yeah. no point. Yeah. But, it's yeah. like this minecart of gold that's always like, yeah. going around the corner, they're like, bring it back! <laughs> you know, yeah. Bring it back, come on back, George, to the fold. Yeah, and with Spielberg on the Raiders films, on, on the Indiana Jones franchise, mm-hmm. there's always control. There's always a natural storyteller and filmmaker who doesn't think in dialogue. Yeah. So when the dialogue comes up in, in Raiders and in Last Crusade, when there are long sequences where people talk to each other, they matter. Yeah. But you also have a sense of what's important to the story in every scene, in every shot. I mean, I I love Jaws and uh, to to a ridiculous degree. I do think it's it's probably my favorite film, and I think it's Spielberg's best film because he's working with you know necessity and disaster, where he's forming the movie as he goes because it's all falling apart around him and the shark doesn't work and they have to find new ways to do it. Mm. The, the Raiders particularly, but also The Last Crusade, are much more meticulously developed and planned. They know what they're doing. Yeah. But they're still pure storytelling. Yeah. In a, in a really fun and... And, and that's the memorable way. stuff. That's why this film is memorable. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like the visual memory that I have that stuck with me throughout my whole life is in those moments between the characters yeah you know like and that one where like marcus gets herded up and then it's just like it's physical it's physical circumstantial comedy it is so good you know like they nail that right on every single time like and it's just it's like 1000 gags from beginning to end but not absurd yeah you know like they're all grounded in like because they're so serious about it you know and that's just the way to play that comedy it's just it's genius but it's like great visual setups and that we don't get that anymore and i'm not sure that you could duplicate that style i'm just not sure with the way that the the world is in acting styles and 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 directing sensibilities that you could even pull off a, a mock version 
yeah. of this. You know, you can't pull off like this whole the whole film from beginning to end is like winking. Yeah. You know, and now we're like it's it's all just like deadpan face. Yeah, I wonder. You know, like, I mean, the only yeah. Now, if you're going to play with narrative, or at least with with kind of the signifiers of narrative, the way that the, the Indiana Jones films do. The device here is that we're making a movie that could have been made in the 30s, but not really. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows it. The only time that I felt coming... The only time I felt anything coming close to it is probably Tintin, which was Spielberg's own film. Yeah. Where he found a way to create that sort of grand scale, global hopping storytelling with incredible complexity. But it was all motion capture and yeah. CG. Yeah. Which, the, yeah, which is very different, it's, right? Yeah, like, it creates its own kind of unreality. So you can't fully connect to it the same way or yeah. at least not at the same way you can with something like Harrison Ford running around on a tank well and that's the thing like I don't know that you could like I would love to see them pull scenes from this film and do them in acting classes with incredible actors and like I just don't think you could pull it off like I was just watching oh, I got frozen on the the when they're in the fireplace and they're like they, he's hit this side and they've turned into like the German war room right and the face on like like Sean Connery's doing, he lets a little bit of Bond sneak out, and you can see him kind of doing. You can't hear him say, but he's like, "Hello." Yeah. <laughs> but Harrison Ford pulls out this smile where his eyes just like light up the room, and you actually feel your knees get a little weak because you're just like, "Oh, he's so sweet," you know, like you really are taken in. And I'm like, I don't know any actors that could pull that off now that kind of he had such a specific charm you know yeah. like it's nobody smirks like Harrison Ford smirks you know like that died with you know like that that you know like that time period with Harrison Ford and there's plenty of very charming charismatic like George Clooney's very effervescent you know like he's but not quite like Harrison Ford had his own brand and I've just never seen it again. And I just, th- and that's what it takes, I feel like, to pull off Indiana Jones. Yeah. I you, wouldn't, know? you know, like having just watched Ryan Gosling play piano sarcastically in La La Land, yeah. it's like maybe he could do it. But he's doing the Blade Runner thing, so. He's super talented. Yeah. He definitely has the chops. But does he have that, like, does he have that, like, the wink, the twinkle? Well, you're right. It's a he... different era now. Like, I don't know if people are being trained for that. Sam Rockwell, maybe? You know, someone who can invite you in? Yeah. But I don't but want to recast same, it. Right? No, yeah. I, not the same. Like, I definitely, really... like you said, like the, the chops, like Sam Rockwell and Moon. Holy, oh my <laughs> God, that guy. What an enviable career. Um, yeah, great. Definitely not without the acting chops. But no one has that, that wink that I feel like that's what makes this and that's what makes it so endearing and that's what makes that nostalgia so delicious. Like you're, you know, like getting into like a warm sock, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, that's what's really special, I think, about about this film, about this film for me. And what about the um, the sexual politics of it? Yeah. Where for the first time, a woman is as important to the story mm-hmm. as any of the other characters, mm-hmm. but she's a bad guy. Like, there's that other thing, that heel turn. That yeah, is I mean, it's really smart because it puts the film on the back foot. It forces us to figure out. A, you know, how this duplicity factors into the story. It also makes Indy look like an idiot for not noticing it, which yeah. is great, I thought, yeah. very clever, because he's not the best at what he does. Yeah. He's just really, really good at it. Yeah. And here's someone who is... And he gets bombs, like he's, there are drops in the hat, drops in the hat, and he doesn't pick them up because he doesn't want to. Yeah. You know? But I mean, 
We're doing the same things. I mean, when you put everything in the context of what is happening now and what just happened in the election with Hillary, sure. it is it is fascinating because really it seems like not that much has changed. Yeah. A lot outwardly and now women are the great hot ticket, so it's great to put money into, you know, like now it's great. Let's really push, you know, female directors, which is great. It's necessary because we are so far from equity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But we haven't really made as much progress. It's just been hotter in the news. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And like, and the hope is that, you know, while they're trying to correct this, the status quotes, it, maybe it will bring us to, to a better place. And yeah, it's really difficult to digest a lot of this. I read this really crushing article that was basically went through and looked at all childhood classics and being like, why do we have rape culture now? Mm. Well, because of this and because of that. And even somebody had written me a comment on Twitter being like, even with like Pepe Le Pew, like think about all of these little, it's the, yeah. those are like our child, they're, they're our icons. It's how it sets up that, that infrastructure in our head. And even in this one, you know, again, he's he forces himself on her in the moment he gets off that boat. You know, like, oh, this is cheesy pickup line. She's like, oh, you have your father's eyes. And he's like, in my mother's ears, but the rest belongs to you. You're like, what is happening here? That was the worst pickup line ever. Um, but it immediately switches and then and then she takes advantage of that. She uses that, you know, right. and like that. I was a uh, film noir always really appealed to me because I found like I found there was this strength in women without it having to be tied to some heroism. But they were they were driving their own lives. They sure. had the freedom of debatably freedom, but they had the freedom of their choices and they didn't back down from from having to make those hard decisions. Sure. And within the genre, a powerful woman, sexual or otherwise, yeah. is a powerful woman. Yeah. Like, they don't have to be... I mean, I guess there's Mary Astor in The Maltese Falcon, who is... Yeah, but even using that sexual... No. <laughs> Terrible. They'll block that out, beep it out. Decades later. Um, but, I mean, like, even the sexual, it's... That's... It says something interesting because it's a commentary on the time. Mm. Because this is the power, this is the very little corner of power that I have, I'm going to use it to the greatest of its ability and ex not exploit, but use that potential because that is all I have. Right. You know, like, and if you want to extrapolate from those themes for many of these films, you know, you can, because it's really, it's the same thing happening. You know, I remember watching, you know, Haley be interviewed, maybe it's like ABC or something. And are we ready for two women? It was when they were talking about having a room, her oh, might be Elizabeth Warren. Right. And you're just like, this is so, it's not abnormal that you're asking because everybody's asking. We would never ask a man that. And the type of vitriol that came out towards her, it really, you know, like, we have an African-American president, but we are not ready for a woman. Man, are we yeah, not? There's There is not. so yeah. much in a great voting base, um, being that women even didn't in certain areas of the states didn't even vote for her. And that's not a, it's not sort of trying to color um, you know, it's, it's just, it made me really think about there is so much that is insidious about, there's still, a, if it's a sexism or it's just our expectation of women. You, it's both, I think. I mean, I think it's all, all part of it. That's, yeah. And that's why it seems to be so hard to unpack that every time you think you've solved it, there's another thing that curls up or some other resentment. I mean, you could try to I, I mean I have seen the think pieces where people have tried to remove the Hillary Clinton thing from she's a woman to she's the most reviled Democrat 
because of 25 years of being in the public eye and, yeah. and Fox News working against her almost yeah. constantly, even when she was a first lady, even when she was a candidate, there's all yeah. this hatred pushed at her. And it comes back to, yes, but that's largely because she's a woman, too. You would like never she be was able an easier to spend target. 25 years of that with a man. Exactly. It yeah. keeps coming back to it. And having Alison Duty in Last Crusade play a woman with agency, even if she's a Nazi collaborator, mm-hmm. it's still weirdly progressive, both for the series and for the idea that it's spawned from the 30s serials that were also completely chauvinistic and sexist yeah. and had no the time culprit, for women unless yeah. they were there to be rescued. Mm-hmm. So, but she's still, uh, yeah. Yay. This is nice. She's, yeah. yeah. She's a doctor, Doctor Schneider. Very good. Um, but also, like, it's we still. She's incredibly attractive. Sure. Unbelievably attractive, you know, and like, st- I mean, which in a weird way comes back. It's supported within the the text with her being an Aryan model, right? Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. supposed to be, yeah, an Uber, men- and Menchen? and Uber Menchen. and to use to yeah and to. To be able to manipulate Indy that way. Two generations of Joneses. You know? Which is also, yeah. you know, it's funny in the movie for when you're young, but then you grow up and you're like, that's creepy. That, uh, but is yeah. it? All the guys have been doing it and it's, it's not a big deal. It's father-son thing, though. It's still creepy. And you Mother know what? I love that creepy. in the film that they don't actually, it's like a bit like, oh, come on, dad. Okay. And then that's the moment and that's it. Yes. That we did. I mean, What's I guess the, they couldn't the sit in man, it too long. Yeah. yeah. I think you can feel, yeah, you can feel the filmmakers kind of Let's let's move on. <laughs> Next point. Yeah. Next what else point. can we can we can we have something fall? He apparently improv that line. I didn't know that. Oh, the one in... where that's no 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 not that one. The one where um where he's like, how did you know she was a Nazi? And he's like, she talks in her sleep. No. Oh, yeah, that's a counter line. <laughs> <laughs> that's Sean. That's James Bond there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course, you. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that she just didn't like their. I don't know. I felt like that said something about she was going to do what she needed to do yeah, to get it done, and she did it well. She's not just unrepentant. She doesn't have to be. She's the villain. She's unapologetic, which is great, because yes. she's a pragmatist. Yes. She's doing what she has to do. Yeah, and then she kind of goes, you know, and then she has what, you know, I would largely say was considered, like, redemption when she then chooses the chalice and then destroys, basically, the villain, but then is also then through her own corruption, I suppose, yeah. meets her end. Which yeah. was, as you know, as I discovered in my research on this one uh, just the other day, which which was a point that was added by Stopper to Yes, more Stopper genius. Yeah, originally it was Glover's character who dies chasing yeah. the grail. Or, no, he fell off a tank that's and right. he died. And then another sort of more minor villain kind of like carried the torch and then she she shot him at the end. And, right. that. and so it, would it have been... And that would Henry, have been... who was rescued, trying to get the grail and almost dies? No, but no. She, she still shot Henry Sr. She still shot Sean Connery, but... Which would have been way more you know, diabolical like, for her yeah. as a character. And that would have been interesting, but then without, like, the, then the ending would be entirely different. And that, I would, I think that I could not have watched years later and been okay, okay with. So that puts her in a very different category, almost right. like an uber villain where I'm not seeing the other colors... Right, so it crosses over see. from functional to sadist. Well, and then it becomes the, oh, this is what we're doing again with a woman. It becomes mm-hmm. a lot more, it lacks the dimension, I suppose, and the texture that she had, even as a villain in right. this. She had, you know, other colors, I think. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think, I mean, ultimately, in a film where the Nazis are the villains, the, the worst of them have to be the white guys. Yeah. I, that's just how that structure works. Yeah. 
their whole thing is being the worst. They're Nazis. Yeah. And that's why they're still, that's why it's still important to use the word instead of alt-right or whatever else you, t- you throw around out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, a... It's funny how that works for Nazis, but not so much the... We don't really address that in terms of our anti-Muslim sentiments and all of the other. It's like the Nazis were like a safe, and I feel like Germany's like, well, we accepted it. And actually, out of that, out of that time and rising again from post-World War, like they developed actually this really strong, because it was so much focus on family, they developed a really strong board game industry. (laughs) Like some of the, like, because my brother's really into, like, he's introduced me to a lot of these really like complex, like board games and there's a massive history now coming out of Germany because really? yeah to encourage anyone. people staying at home and spending family time post-war they have these intricate beautiful storytelling board games really? wow. that that have carried on now and I think so many of the great complex board games are coming out came out of Germany I'm not a board game person something? I need to look into this stuff yeah well they're yeah a lot of them are really really interesting my brother first got me started around with Dominion and um, and there's just more and more of them, and they're basically like, yeah, if you mashed books and movies and paper together, that's what you would, you know. Huh. That's why Clue was always my favorite. That was another one I was considering because it was oh, um, yeah. this is one of my favorite board games because it was like a mystery. You were like delving into a mystery film every time you played, but it was just my brother and I, so we didn't have enough. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> foiled by the lack. Clue of is a proper a multiplayer game. Yeah. yeah, I have a I have. I grew up with one brother too. It's a similar imitation. Yeah, Monopoly again. Great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what we played. Yeah. Oh no, I'm. I, I think I'm one of, that's one of the reasons I don't play that many board games. I just didn't have the exposure when I was young. Yeah. To the really well, the complicated games were stuff. Really different. I mean, my, and my brother and I, we had risk. There was risk in the house, but either the instructions were missing or <laughs> we just never read them. So we played risk, but. Making up our own risk. I think that would almost be more interesting. <laughs> have you played it with other people since and discovered that it doesn't? I don't think I have ever truly learned the rules to risk. So <laughs> maybe that's it should be on my bucket list. But I, now I feel like now I don't want to learn. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to play the way my brother and I played. Oh, that's a game show. You know, like <laughs> watching people play games that they don't understand the yes. rules to, and how and can you figure out a structure and an order? Yes. I would watch that. Yeah. I would probably end up participating. I'm sure there's stuff that I made up the rules to myself. For sure. Things where you're like, I'm sure that was a rule. Like, (laughs) I swear that in Scrabble, that's not a word. No, I no. challenge. If the pawn makes it all the way to the end, it's a, it becomes a demigod. That's how it works. That's when you glue another pawn on top yes, of it. Yes, And it can just destroy it. Definitely. Everything. Anybody else? No? Yeah. I had for years concocted, I realized later in life, my own ending to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay. Because it doesn't have one. It does. It like, just stops. I had this, and now it's like, but it was vivid. I was like, they're in the tower. And then they're walking down the tower and there's like dust coming through the window and they're running across the field or something. And they were like, what? And I was like, you know, when at the end, they were like, that's not the ending. I don't know what happened. And I watched it again and I was like, what? Is this a weird cut? Like, is this a, is, is this a director's cut or something? And they're like, no, this is the, I don't know what happened. There is some activity in a field at the very end, but yeah. No, I had this whole scene play out in, in, in this tower. And I don't have a lot of incidents right. like this. It's not something that's like, oh, Grace, is she, you know, been in the... <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I concocted this whole entire ending to the Holy Grail that wasn't... It was almost disappointing when I rewatched it and I was like, oh, that's the... Oh, that sounds exciting as, <laughs> as what I had imagined for years. 
That's kind of amazing. I just, I mean, I've been, there's been this thing going on about how people are misremembering Kazam, which is just, you know, there's that story and then there's the Berenstain Bear story, which people claim that the mispronunciation of Berenstain by their parents has led them to grow up thinking that it's Bernstein Bears, which Mm. I understand people mispronounce things and Berenstain is a weird name, but there's this whole subculture of people who believes that it's evidence of time travel that someone has gone back in time and messed with the spelling and so now those of the, those of us who remember it as Berenstain are wrong it's what it's been changed to and the people who remember it as Bernstein are the ones who remember it correctly which makes no sense in any kind of time travel theory because we'd all forget we'd all yeah. be the timeline would be altered for everyone but it's just this is how you get Trump when there's a mm-hmm. culture of people who are so ingrained so convinced that you can't admit well you know they altered the dictionary like words have started to change from the improper use oh but that's now the general yeah that's corrupt that's the the archaic version of but now it's like legitimate you've immortalized it basically in the dictionary so we're down this path now right (laughs) it's it's amazing that this is it though people get to create their own reality and then have it bolstered by people yeah um which again that's why I love one of the reasons I keep coming back to the to Raiders and to the Last Crusade is that they're inarguable good versus evil stories. Yeah. They're you can't accidentally root for the wrong characters. There's yeah. the movies won't let you. They're yeah. just they're very clear in, in their position and, and to watch the series kind of lose its way with Crystal Skull where I mean, yes, the communists are supposed to be the bad guys, but mm-hmm. then they all end up working together, sort of, kind of, and yeah. then That's just, why you can't make these films now. Yeah. You can't have a... There is no room for ambiguity. You couldn't have had... Who's saying this? You couldn't have Jesus and Michael Jordan on Twitter. Like, we... None of... Like, none of those icons of youth or any kind of, like, heroes we might have had, none of that really can exist now. So people, you know, we're we're really torn when we are losing these icons that we grew up with or more recently... because we don't make them the same way anymore. It's not possible within the constraints of what we what we live in day to day, you know, like with this kind of exposure and us being able to know everything about yeah. this person. We were talking about uh, filmmakers the other day or people who had... <laughs> we were talking about Kenny G and they were basically, as you do, we were talking <laughs> about Kenny G and they were saying, well, you know, that's, this person basically Kenny G'd themselves. They've sold out. And we were like, but... When you have people who... Like, Kenny G just knew what people wanted. And he gave them what they wanted. It didn't mean he didn't have this other side of, like, what Kenny G was also doing on top of that. And he was like, no, no, no. I argue that, you know, he could have still stuck with, like, you know, like, he's no Miles Davis. And I was like, listen, Miles Davis... And I was comparing it to Xavier Dolan has this enviable career right now. Like, Mm -hmm. he's just... I feel like this apex of... He can't sustain, it's not possible for him to sustain that kind of prestige and admiration from here for another 50 years. I was like, Al Pacino and um, De Niro Niro had that prestige, and then it disappeared. And then people were like, they're doing the same thing. It's a saturation of like, we, we humans can't allow for that to happen. And that's why it's like, we can't grow the same kind of heroes, the the soil has changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about not being able to imagine anyone else as for doing what Ford does. I think that now, yeah, celebrity culture requires a level of self-awareness and engagement that destroys that because if you know, 
I mean, when Harrison Ford got the earring, that changed for everybody, too. But but if you know that much about someone and you watch him play a character, you're still seeing the actor leak through. Um, yeah. As much as I love Ryan Gosling, and as much as I think his real strength is playing that sort of essential whatever-he-is thing, mm-hmm. and having other directors find it in, and steer it, like, like Chazelle does in La La Land, and especially mm-hmm. like Shane Black does in The Nice Guys, mm-hmm. which is an absolutely Ryan Gosling performance, but also a character. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that Ford never really did. He would inhabit and then yeah. move on and inhabit something else. And then in the 90s, it all started to sort of slide together into short-tempered, angry guy who has trouble remembering his lines. But, but well, you know, yeah, whatever like, else works for him. Well, and, and when, you know, when Carrie Fisher passed away and it was like the article sort of resurfaced again and it had come out before, but her and Harrison Ford having an affair on, you know, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have access to whether or not that's anything real you know like you can't define a person anyways through it regardless of how many stories you write right right with someone but it's just it's not the same and i think it's not even so much like ryan gosling would be his own indiana jones and he'd probably be a great indiana jones but i think it's like even the you couldn't make a film with that sort of temperament now i think that's sort of more my point yeah you know like it doesn't you couldn't even if you had the very finest actors in the land and the very you know, because now we can replicate, like, it would be no problem all the technical stuff. Sure. Not a problem at all. But that works against it, too, in, in Crystal Skull, right? You know what the CG is, and it's yeah. just not as interesting. No. A thousand or two thousand rats in, in no. Last Crusade. Oh, I couldn't get on board with Matrix because I was like, I know it's not real. Something in my brain, at least with Star Wars, even if it's a model, there's something tactile, and my brain needs that. Yeah. Once it gets too much, it's in that world. Unless we're totally existing in the world of, like, Pixar or you know like DreamWorks and that becomes different and that we can stretch we can stretch our skin on top of those frames right you know like every 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 friend of mine that I had um who grew up as like l'autre like they were um a person a child of color and we all grew up sort of really loving science fiction and that's not really so crazy to imagine when we're seeing television that where there's not a great deal of representation, where science fiction has these limitless stories, where also, like, you want to talk about female empowerment or just equality of the utopia, you know, like Star Trek, The Next Generation, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, how long ago was that? And those stories are still far more forward-reaching than, you know, and in terms of the equity that was happening. Yeah, absolutely. And because we throw in, you know, other races and things that don't look like ourselves, it's, you know, we it just lifted the veil. So it's just interesting that a lot of my friends who grew up not, um, who were not Caucasian all identified heavily with science fiction and that, and that world where it was, yeah, it was limitless and we could be everyone because everyone was everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, I mean, with, with the Star Trek series, the whole concept of it was that it's the future and everything's fixed. Like we're past all this. But it's not. Yeah. yeah. Even though, right. It wasn't until last year now, cause it's 2017. It wasn't until last year that there was a gay character represented and it was Sulu because they sort of retconned that, which is completely fine. Yeah. But apparently there will be one in the new series, at least one uh, front facing, identifying as gay With character. The STD one. Uh, <laughs> it's a terrible. Oh my actor. God. That is what that it is. What it is. It's STD. <laughs> STD. Yep. Oh, I hope not. I think they're stuck with it. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> on <yeah>. many. <laughs> Welcome aboard the NCC yes. herpes. Yeah. Come with us. 
I don't During the STD, oh, you're that's... stuck with it. Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to call it discovery. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, Fuller apparently made sure that that would be a thing going yeah. forward, even though he's not running the show anymore. Yeah. And that's 50 years into this thing before it finally got completely... However, embracing. there's storylines like the one where like Riker falls and he doesn't have great storylines, but he falls for the, the yeah, where right. we've got a race where it's like ambiguous, like those are massive, like we're not even talking about that now. Like, yeah, we've yeah. got transparent and so like, but yeah, I can't imagine what it would have been like for a kid with gender questions yeah. to see that and realize that because this is before the Internet, you're not alone. The, yes. There's there's the possibility of of seeing yourself represented. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. even have to be yeah that that extreme of an example it can be simply yeah how did uh, uh, i mean ruddenberry almost i remember hearing this once or reading it in one of the old star trek books when i was a kid mm-hmm. that ruddenberry wanted to put sulu at the helm because of the stereotype about how asians couldn't drive <laughs> in the 50s and 60s that he was aware of uh, he's just he, he's a hero for so many of us yeah like he steered he, and he didn't it wasn't enough for him he was always trying to push more and more but yeah, the first interracial back. kiss. Yeah. And the NBC had to make sure that no one enjoyed it. Yeah. That was their note. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Well, I heard Shatner had a had a hand in that. I'm not surprised. Where he in... kind of blew the rest of the footage so they had to use, because after they they had it on in the can, maybe one or two takes, and then they were like, yeah, let's give an option. But he made sure to blow, so I heard. I he see blew that. all the other takes, so they had to use one of those. Good for him. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. I mean, he got to kiss a lot of pertolotas. Yeah, but um, but it matters what you know what makes it out to that stuff really affects. It affects all of us. It affects children. It affects adults. You know, like, and I feel like generally in the business we just don't take a lot of responsibility for that, and we default to things that because I guess it's you know it's all, it always comes back to money and people think well it'll be more likely that we'll make more money if people are super attractive and we put these people here and we choose these lovable people and the yeah. cult of likability in film is crazy yeah you hear it explained away as the path of least resistance but what it really means is the path of wait no i got that backwards <laughs> you hear it explained away as the path of mass appeal but it is the path of least resistance yeah and then it goes in the other direction and you start to see um, people turning up like Donnie Yen and Jen Wang mm-hmm. in in Rogue One show up as basically force samurais and, and seen, yeah. resistance fighters. Yeah. It's they're the first Asian characters of any real yes. weight yeah. in the series, and it's they show up and to me it's like oh my god that's right they remembered that the first concept of the Jedi Knights is stolen from samurais in Kurosawa films yes. and other people are saying ah they're just trying to get it uh, they're just trying to appeal to China and you're like actually does it yeah but that's what I mean we're bad educators many of the times and some of that is for mm, debatably I, I would uh, yeah I'm not even sure that I can say that some of that was for good reason yeah. we just did it because it was the path of least resistance and it and it was money yeah and it was just easier just like trump is easier (laughs) but if you're trying to appeal to the chinese audience by including asian characters is that like is that bad if as long as the asian characters are included and an asian audience can see these characters that's more important that's what i mean in terms of the gender equity stuff a lot of it's like i don't want to in discussions about you know when people they have a very hard time pulling actual data for who's getting what funding and all of that because a lot of times people don't fill out those voluntary sort of um, uh, those voluntary forms at the end that say this is how you identify Mm -hmm. I've never filled any of those out because for me I don't want anything that I am given or any for any any of it to be tied to me being a woman or me being a person of color 
now, you know, like they're lacking a lot of that data. So they can't say for sure what the stats are in certain degrees uh, in certain places. And so they have started all of these programs, you know, and you're like, well, this isn't the, is it this the best way? Well, maybe this is all we have. Kind of like the audition process. I think many people question whether or not it's the best way, but it's... It's the thing that's in front of us. It's the best that we've had so far, you know, like... Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't... Yeah, anytime someone starts making lists, I'm uneasy, but Mm. I don't know if that's my own... Like, is that white privilege speaking? I can't... I don't know. I'm I'm a middle-aged white guy, so I I'm questioning everything all the time at this yeah. point because I'm pretty sure I'm making assumptions that I shouldn't be making. Yeah. But how can it be? I think how can more representation be bad? That's the, I just keep coming back to that. I think yeah. the, the impulse is there to have more people do more things and yeah. and play different roles and be different people. The what was the last argument about how somebody shouldn't be? Um, oh, it was the trans argument. Um, it was for Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl mm-hmm. and the argument that that role should have been played by a, a trans actor. Yeah. And I, I'm on side with it because I think Eddie Redmayne is a ham. And I think maybe you know, <laughs> if someone else had played the role, it would have been a better performance. Yeah. But it's the same argument as you need the, do you need the lived understanding to play that role? Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think that's where we're going, that yeah. people are starting to understand that, mm-hmm. that... This is where it gets to the chicken and the egg argument, right? Mm. There was this big theater uproar years ago because someone came in and they said, well, I don't have enough, was it Latin American actors or, or Asian actors? Uh, uh, there aren't enough in this city for me to be able to do this experience. And then it becomes this chicken Ooh. and the egg because you go, not enough that have the experience because you're not casting them or you're casting them in these token roles and it's the same thing. Right. You know, like... Well, it's the argument against you know the the Oscar so white thing. You can it's the, part of it is that yes, we're the cause and the you know like it's you yeah. know we're the reason that it's like that, and yet we can't move it unless we change that. And you know we we just did the film festival sort of circuit for Miss Sloan, right, and it was right. interesting that the two people who you know that we we went on it on our own dime were you know Raul Benesia and and I, you know because you know that these parts these roles don't come around that often with this kind of exposure and also it's not very often that an actor i think gets to stand behind a film where you're like this film has something to say something it's speaking about you know a lot of great um important themes and i can get behind the every person involved in this and a true group of artists that you go wow i really admire every single person that i worked with along with these people being incredible human beings and and john madden i can't sing his praises enough um it is kind of amazing that a film uh, like Miss Sloan, with its massively diverse cast, yeah. can be made in about America in Canada. That and with written with an and English, created by like a basically a British European team. Yeah, and with an English co-lead as well in, in Gugu Mbatha-Raw. It's it's just Mark Strong and yeah. Strong. That's right, Mark Strong. Yeah, I'm forgetting Mark, Mark Strong, Strong is in. I know, you know he's that's got terrible. Quoted in I saw it a couple of months ago. and yeah. he's he sort of fades into the background. Yeah. And they, the dynamics that emerge, but I love him. He's yeah. very nice. I'm sorry, Mr. Stern. <laughs> we I've interviewed him. Mark. He's very nice. Yeah. And, and he's I, very easy The last going. thing I want to do is, is zone him out of the film. No. But yeah, you don't think about the white guy. It's it's a much bigger range of stories in yeah. that film. And again, Bechtel test with flying colors. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a, pro- that's a problem because a lot of those things, 
and we get on board. We get on board with the the love triangles. That's something that's very human, you know. Like it's what sustains basically a whole genre with the sure. soap operas, you know. Like so, there is a very real need. But I think a lot of these times, it's like we. I think we need to really be questioning. It's uncomfortable. Every nobody feels good having to like. You put on like a new pair of running shoes, and you're like, oh, it doesn't quite feel like the last one. It's like, well, sometimes we need to wear these ideas in, and at yeah. first, it's it's uncomfortable, and maybe the certain edges are a little bit sharp but that's how we get somewhere you know i'm sure there was so much protest about many of the issues that were brought up in star trek when that those storylines were coming out but that it actually changed things yeah it really did and you know like i have a friend who when he came out maybe before he even came out he was really starting to identify with uh with star trek and he got into he was so involved in the tech world so that he could get on message boards, I think, when internet maybe was still, like, over modems. Sure. And, like, or the, you know, the dial-up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and he would, like, talk to different, like, um, Apple sort of, like, forums, like, early Apple forums. Just you reaching out and trying to find, like you said, more people like you. And so much of that was tied to tech because tech was a thing that started to connect us to, to more little pockets. And, yeah, everyone wants to feel like they're a little bit less alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, plus the other thing, back in those days, if you were on a message board, it meant you could read, which <laughs> would kind of self-select for intelligence. That was my, oh, no. That was my little triumph at the time. Spelling has become a big fail that way, huh? Yeah. We just can't. Yeah, That's you'll terrifying. see. You're in your. That's terrifying. Here we are discussing it on an audio medium, but yeah, yeah. kids learn to spell. It's important. Or learn yes. to use spell check. Yes. A at the very least care. yeah though i do find it interesting how language changes you know like slang because also much like clothes it's there's a lot more to it than just the surface level sure yeah you know and when you really dig into that it's very interesting why have clothes changed to a certain way why is this particular type of casual you know because we don't think like a lot clothes of always generally being functional like even pockets like this came out a little bit more when hillary was was running but the difference between male and female pockets and like it's such a joke female pockets for the most part because they are not at all functional and actually you know i was reading this story about how like basically the history of pockets was very sexist you know like and it wasn't and even the way that um, just to steer women towards handbags and prevent them from carrying well yeah which became you know like huge money industry but also you know like it's they couldn't it was all also because we were on display you know so this doesn't this doesn't work for the lines and this isn't you know which is like a little bit of like a that's a little bit of oppression you know like but we don't think about it we go oh it's aesthetic this is how it is but any woman who's ever been like well this is why you know i don't know if your wife gets you to carry stuff but uh, yeah she's got i remember her getting really happy about a a line of stuff that had pockets yes dresses with pockets to admit i never really thought about it because i never had to never had to exactly it's those little things and it's that's what's yeah that's what's interesting sort of about everything that's changing because hopefully as long as we're always asking questions no one has all the answers but i feel like as long as you're always asking questions then your mind is open if there's a crack there's you know room for the light to get in yeah you know because none of us really none of us and all of us only have our own experiences to pull from you know so we can't and that's not that's not bad it's just about keeping it open to know that other people have different experiences and there might be a reason yeah for them to be where they are exactly nothing i mean if it's it's this weird paradox if you tell a story specifically enough it becomes universal Mm. But no one's experience is 
definitive for everyone's. Yeah. So you just have to, yeah, you have to allow for it. Yeah. And I'm just reiterating what you said, so you were right. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as the podcast goes, the um, the rap question is always the same, which is, mm. you know, like, is there anything from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade that you've borrowed or stolen or incorporated into your own creative DNA? Is there Have you ever nodded to something in the film, consciously or unconsciously? Um, I think more just in my life, you know, like, you can't, you can't keep your demons at bay. Your demons are going to come for you the way that they're going to come for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the great, and, and why I feel like Indiana Jones was voted sort of like the best characters, because everyone has that wonderment inside them. Whatever that adventure is in that spirit, that, that a truth of, of living, like Indiana also just, he also has like a Joe job. You know, he's a professor, and then in his spare time, <laughs> in yeah. his spare time, or I don't know when he gets to take off, you know, and do these adventures, but he's Government he's making sure that yeah. he's, yeah, that he's living his life, you know, and, and, and his life puts him in all sorts of, you know, kinds of danger, and it forces him to, it forces him to learn, or it forces him to get better, or it forces him to look at himself, and that's something that's continually important. And it also, for me... It's really important sometimes to take, as my friend Mike Ross says, like take a couple of logs off the fire, because it's like you know being being a person in this business, like you have to so much of you have to steer your own engine and you have to keep keep that train on the tracks because no one's going to give it to you and you have so much output with very little guaranteed, like so much you're putting so much out into it, but there's very little guaranteed come back to you. Right. You know, like you can audition. You know, like I. I'm probably near six, almost 600 auditions now and like how many jobs. And it's been really, it's been great for me to keep track because you, so many of the times you feel like you're just back at zeros. You're, you're building castles in the sand. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's also important to have, I feel like that twinkle that Indy always has is like to always be able to find the, the joke in every, in every moment that even though there are big things that he's trying to accomplish... You know, that you always have to remember to to make life still enjoyable for yourself and always, you know, like always have your own adventure. Nice. Yeah. So you're not, in Miss Sloan, you're not carrying a grail diary around quietly in the back of a scene. Carrying which? A grail diary around. <laughs> no. Maybe the next one. No. <laughs> but I was like, I, I mean, I, I'm, such a, I'm such a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. Like I grew up with, like, again, it's one of those things where you go, people trying to change the world, maybe not getting there but they want to like what i don't know what is life for if not that and so that's why i mean the the lightness really appeals to me because sometimes it's brutal i have to cut myself off of how much news i read because at some point it becomes paralyzing the more things that you care about the more things that can sort of get you down if you want to be invested in them they can really sort of drag like there are a lot of things to despair about in humanity you know yes yeah Yeah, debatably always right and sure. the, the more you sort of invest yourself in, the more that it can affect you in that way. Yeah. But if it's it gets to the point where it's paralyzing, then you actually can't do anything. You've be, sort of become deactivated. So I feel like that's been something that I've learned a little bit. Um, and maybe why all of these like these films have that nostalgia because it's it harkens to those those days where things were black and white, but also they, the greater themes are still true. You know, in a lot of in a lot of ways, they have little nuggets that carry through now that are actually inspiring for us to remember 
even now, years, yeah. years after the fact. Yeah, and you cannot fault the morality of the first three films. You know, stand up, fight back, carry mm-hmm. a bullwhip. These yeah. are all good tips. Yeah. And good and bad, but also that good and bad doesn't always look like what we expect it to look like. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. especially in this one. Yeah, and that it becomes from within the person, which is something that is important for all of us to remember because nothing else comes from outside. It will always be from within. A great sense of satisfaction, of happiness in your life, that always comes from within. And it's a, it's a battle you have with yourself. And I think that's what this story is about. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. It makes me just want to watch them all again right now. <laughs> really loud. <laughs> Just to drown out, yeah. yeah, to drown out the noise. Yeah. My thanks to Grace Lin Kung, who you can see in theaters in Miss Sloan and Wednesdays at 9 p.m. on the Global Television Network in Mary Kills People. If you're in the U.S., it'll be coming to Lifetime in April. And thanks to Alma Parvizian, she knows what she did. You can find Grace on Twitter at Grace Lin Kung, all one word, and you can find Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on Blu-ray and DVD from Paramount Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review up on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. Thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.